Hi everyone, before we get started, uh, we just have a couple of announcements to make. Number one is that Mercury in Retrograde is upon us, and if you are not a listener of the Gaily Prophet, you may not have known that me and Lark are witches, and since Mercury in Retrograde is often a very difficult and ridiculous time, um, we often take the retrogrades off to prevent technical difficulties and also life stuff so uh we will be taking off starting with this episode till i don't actually know when the (laughs) we're gonna be back the next episode will be released november 10th all right so yeah so that's a little bit under a month uh which will give you plenty of time to catch up to read through carry on to you know Write us a message about how much you love it. Or send us some fan art. That would be real rad. Yes. Or you can join our Patreon where we will be releasing things. We often take our quote-unquote breaks uh, as an opportunity to produce and release Patreon content. So, you know, check that out if you're going to be lonely without us other things oh i forgot to say at the end of this episode the chapters for the next one which are chapters 39 through 41 and lastly because we will be back after the election we just want to say please for the love of god vote (laughs) uh there's a lot there's a lot on on your uh ballot that is not the presidential election there are important things to vote for regardless of your feelings about being able to vote for Biden. So please vote. Just please, please vote. Yes. For those of you who are still able to get absentee ballots, you should definitely look into that in your state. I also greatly encourage everyone to check out your, read up on some of your local officials and your congresspeople and your representatives. Oftentimes those folks make such a big difference in our national politics so regardless of how you feel about the presidential election you should definitely at least vote for your local officials and also whatever your local ballot propositions are i know california has some pretty fucked up major ones that they are dealing with and i'm sure every state does also um and don't forget to try to vote out whoever whatever racist cop supporting judges and representatives and whoever might be on your ballot yeah and even if you google those folks you can see what kind of fucked up shit they're doing and then you can decide that you want to fire those people because they suck yeah anyway let's get into the episode (laughs) uh tell me more about how his eyes look simon It's almost as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. (laughs) I feel like I just want to be like, quote-unquote, enemies for every time we bring up Baz. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I'm Lark Malachi Gray. 
and I am Jesse Blount. And today we are reading chapters 37 and 38 of Carry On. Chapter 37 is Agatha's point of view. She is living a very solitary life post breakup. No roommate and no friends here at Watford. It's very unfortunate. She tells us a little bit about her normal friends, but she literally cannot tell them anything about magic because her dad spelled her like an asshole. Agatha is sort of, is basically over the small town bullshit of the magical world, but has not told anyone about her feelings about this. She sees Baz and tries to talk to him. And like an antihero in an 80s teen movie, he is a dick about her transparent need to rebel. But like, it's not really like that because Agatha is just trying to figure herself out and everyone puts her in this box that she does not like. And I feel a lot of sympathy about that. Chapter 38, Baz. Baz is, is feeling like shit, both physically and emotionally, and totally did not have an anxiety attack in the catacombs. Nope, not at all. Uh, <laughs> Simon has been following him around for weeks, and Baz is just tired of it all. But he is reminded that Fiona asked him to, to steal something from the mage's office, so he goes to do just that. Because he lived in the headmaster's quarters with his mom when she was headmaster, he can still get into the into the headmaster's office. There's nothing much in the office because the mage is never there. Because why run a school? Mm -hmm. uh, Bess is looking through the mage's embarrassment of a bookshelf when Simon shows up, sword at the ready. Not a euphemism. Uh, Baz <laughs> tells him why he's there, and Simon's just itching for a fight. Uh, Simon finds a photo of tiny baby Baz in a book and hands it to him. And Baz remembers his mom in a way that is deeply sad. Simon finally says that he needs to, to tell Baz something. Baz thinks for a moment that Simon will declare his desire for him, which unfortunately does not happen at this juncture, but decides to return to their room for a private conversation. Yeah couple brief reminders we would love it if you would go leave us a review on itunes or stitcher because it helps people find our show also just a heads up we have a patreon it's patreon.com slash the gaily prophet uh you can listen to all the episodes of this podcast early and with bonus content if you join and uh last but not least remember we are spoiling everything through the end of this book but nothing from the sequels so with that, let's get into Easy Come, Easy Go. Easy Come, Easy Go, where we talk about everything that doesn't go somewhere else. Uh, I just want to start off in Agatha's chapter. She mentions that one of her non magical pony girlfriends is literally named Minty. Mm -hmm. And it is both seemingly the most like rich pony girl shit I've ever heard in my entire life. But also, why would you name your child that? <laughs> uh, if folks are in the UK, let me know if this is like just a generic name that you would give a like rich person. Like we would say like Chad or something. I mean, people give kids all sorts of weird names. Agatha's into it. Yeah, Agatha's very much into someone naming their child Minty. Yeah. So. It's very funny. It's very adorable. You know, really all I have here is just that I think it's 
just amazingly hilarious that Fiona's legitimate desire is to leave a bag of her shit in the mage's bed. <laughs> I I love that so much. I also have that because I just appreciate that depth of both rage and pettiness. It's just so ridiculous because it like obviously doesn't cover the scope of like what the mage is doing, but just as like a gesture of like fuck you, it's incredible. Yeah. And the fact that she, at least in the conversation that Baz reports to us, seems to think that it's the case that Baz like is like I'm not shitting in a bag, Fiona. And she's like, okay, but you would be fine carrying around a bag of my shit to put in the bed, though, right? Like, that would be fine. It's like, ew, no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I just like, even if you're magically, like, containing that, it's like, no. Like, what? (laughs) Right. Definitely not. (laughs) No one wants that. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of meditating on how much the mage uh, sucks. I really appreciate how Baz both makes fun of the mage's Robin Hood outfit and is also like, I'm surprised there are not Che Guevara posters on the wall, which is like such a burn, but also a spot on character observation about the mage. Truly, yes. (laughs) I'm just like... Yep, you're so right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's really perfect. <sighs> and also it's like the mage, if people expect you to have a poster that like you could have bought at Hot Topic, you should really rethink your life decisions as like a grown ass adult. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's all you here. Alright. So my last thing is Baz describing the mage's book self of just like shit just like stacked everywhere like nothing is in order makes me very upset (laughs) (laughs) as someone who is like what is the point of even having bookshelves if they're not going to be organized in some sort of fashion as also a person who hates the like i've color coordinated my books in a thing and i'm like how are you gonna find anything if your books are color coordinated by cover like what that's just me being a nerd and being upset by that that's your Capricorn moon showing up. Also, I feel like Baz also being a nerd because he's also a little annoyed by it. Mm-hmm. So. That's his Capricorn moon. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Virgo moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, my, I, my books are organized by subject. Uh, that's how books should be. Yeah, same. Also, a little bit by size because I do have some books that will only fit on certain shelves of my weirdly shaped bookshelves yeah also same all right i see a little silhouette of a man welcome to i see a little silhouette of a man where we talk about character development beginning with agatha So here's where I want to start with this is if there were chapter titles in this book, Agatha's chapter would be titled Part of Your World. (laughs) She is so aerial, like sadder. One of my notes is like, 
she's Ariel, but she doesn't have a flounder. Like, she doesn't have anyone to unload all of these feelings on. But, like, you could totally adapt that song to be about Agatha's experience living in the magical world and just wanting to be a normal. Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, she was also cursed to not speak of certain things. So I feel like it fits in. I feel like this could work. Yeah. Also, yeah, Agatha is very deeply sad. And I don't mean that to be, like, making light of what she's experiencing. Like, I think that we make a joke of the, like, but daddy, I love him. But if you think about what actually is driving Ariel's behavior, it's that she wants to be a person, not that she's in love with this boy. So, like, I think that it is. It's an applicable analogy. And also, I just really like to think about Agatha walking around, like, singing part of your world as, like, part of her moping therapy. I mean, considering that a bunch of her uh, friends are normals, she might be doing this. Truly. Yeah, I feel like if anyone had a good mental library of Dis- of Disney movies, it would be Agatha. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> but yeah, let's talk about how, how lonely and sad she is. Part of me is like, Agatha, it's not too late to make friends, but it's also if she's gone through the ent- almost the entirety of like her time at Watford only hanging out with Simon and Penny Mm. then it would probably be really difficult to be like hello fellow young people let me (laughs) let me sit at your table do you want to hear about dressage no wait jumping what does she do jumping let me tell you about horses Uh, I'm not sure how well that would come off I also just don't think that she wants to be friends with other magicians. It feels like she doesn't have any desire for anything that roots her in this world. She's just mm-hmm. not interested in in being part of it. And maybe that would be different if she had made friends that she actually liked at any point. But it sounds like the only real satisfying relationship she's ever formed have been with normals. Yeah. And I feel like considering that she already feels the weight of other people's expectations and definitions of like who she is and like how the rest of her life will look. Mm -hmm. It definitely makes sense that she feels that the normal world is like a place where like she has options. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, yeah, like it seems like this, this magical world has definitely like a totally small town vibe. There's like, 500 people and everyone knows everyone else and everyone's business and it's just claustrophobic Mm -hmm. in a way that we don't get from any of the other characters Mm -hmm. and is i mean basically the opposite of what simon feels where he's just like i love the magical world i don't ever fucking want to go back to anything normal which i mean makes sense considering his the foster care system so right Yeah, the fact that Agatha was embedded in the normal society as a child, presumably because she went to a normal K through six, something like that. She has ties there, and it seems like she got to Watford and was just like, uh... No, no thanks you know and and it does it sucks to change to change schools you know kids don't do well moving away from all of their friends yeah. and 
I guess I don't really know why she wouldn't have had sort of structured hangout with other magical kids while she was younger. It seems like that would have been something important to her parents. I mean, but maybe she did. She just was like, these aren't the kids I bond with. I don't care. I just want to spend time with the horses. Right. I just want to paint my nails with minty. (laughs) This chapter does a really good job of like us feeling the kind of claustrophobia of Agatha's position. Mm -hmm. Being a magical person in this very tiny world where it's expected that you're going to meet your partner when you're 17. And considering Penny's comment about tragic 40-year-old singles trying to meet other magical people, there's a lot of pressure for Agatha to be normal and to find someone. And for all, everyone is like, oh, that's clearly going to be Simon, obviously. And she's like, not clearly, not obvious. Right. Why did everyone decide this for me? Not here for this. Right. Yeah. So, you know, thinking about that in the context of the last time we were hanging out in Agatha's head where she also doesn't know or she doesn't know where she belongs, but everyone else thinks that that they do. I just wanted to like put onto the record that we have heard from several at this point aromantic folks who are like yes i identify super deeply with agatha this is the the correct reading um so i think that it makes sense for us to adopt that as escape from reality canon at this point if you feel okay about that yeah i totally feel okay with that and we see we see more of it here like this way that she sort of experiences the world through like an external lens where she's approaching Baz to have this conversation and she's seeing everything from how it looks from the outside. She's like, I know that I'm in the right angle of the sun to like make my hair look this certain way. And like, I'm going to say his name in this certain way. That's like evocative of this particular feeling. And then we see that Baz sees what she's doing like he i feel like the fact that he refers to it as her maiden fair drama indicates that baz is witnessing that agatha is sort of putting on a performance yeah which makes sense since baz is also been putting on a performance mm-hmm. just just seeing just recognizing <laughs> uh maybe not quite kindred spirit but uh Another sad child also trying to play act their way through their sad feelings. And by play act, I mean, yeah, the sort of projection of what they think they should be, what they think that the world wants them to appear as, even though they themselves don't want that. Right. Yeah. Do you have anything else about Agatha here? Um, I do not. So the last thing that I wanted to note is that just the fact that she says that she has real friends that don't go to Watford means that even before her and Simon broke up, she never considered him and Penny to be actually her friends. 
which is just like really sad for everyone involved in that situation i think yeah i just feel agatha is another tragic character in this book and i feel very deeply for her and it is really Mm -hmm. sad that she didn't think that penny was her friend even though it's like you spent like seven years like hanging out together going on sort of misadventures yeah and i think that that shows us something about who agatha is as a person and how she evaluates her relationships because she doesn't feel any she doesn't feel the kind of connection to simon that she thinks she's supposed to and she doesn't seem to feel really any connection to penny i don't know and i think we we do all have sort of proximity friends you know people who if you're telling a story about something that you like an interaction you had with them to a third party you'll say my friend and then kind of trip over the word and be like co-worker acquaintance and you're like (laughs) it's more than that but like less (laughs) than friend because i don't feel any need to like spend time with them when i am not don't happen to be in the same space as them kind of Mm -hmm. i feel like that's seems like what the experience Agatha has of of Penny and I don't actually know how she feels in terms of friendship about Simon but I think she's so confused about her lack of romantic interest in Simon that she couldn't probably answer that question because that's preoccupying a large part of her thought process around him yeah all right from one sad character to another let's go talk about that <laughs> oh my god yeah I just but my note is just that they're just both deeply like they have so many sad feelings and i just want someone to give them a hug that's all mm-hmm. neither of them would want that hug but <laughs> and neither of them would know how to receive the hug they might want it though that's true that is very true you're yeah you're right what do you want to talk about first with baz i just have a couple of like lighter observations and then just my general feelings about Natasha Grimpich so okay I mean pretty much the rest of the chapter that takes place when he is in the headmaster's office just was so gutting like when he's like smelling the like the death drawer to see if it still smells like her stuff is Mm -hmm. just a very long string of crying emojis Mm -hmm. because that's totally a thing that you would think of you know in your grief and it's just he's allowing himself that because no one else is around and Mm. i'm just it just makes me deeply emotional about poor baz and then just him like thinking about how he used to live at the school with his mom and like hang out with her in like the headmaster's office she just seemed like a really good mom Mm -hmm. and just that i'm just very sad that he just doesn't have her presence in his life anymore and just you know, observing him experiencing, you know, the trauma of his grief that he maybe doesn't allow himself to feel a lot of the time. And I mean, definitely this is sort of the first chapter we get where he's like, you know, really thinking about the time with his mother when he was younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I, I, I thought it was so, I mean, interesting and sad 
this information that we get about the relationship he had with his mom because she does seem like she was a really good mom. And up until this point, we've seen that Baz has had this sort of stereotypical, very wealthy kid upbringing where everything's very hands-off and he has, you know, this nanny that he seems closer to than he is with his dad or with his stepmom. And I think it is really easy to assume that that's what his life would have been like even if his mom had lived. But then we meet her in this chapter and she is really present. She's like physically tender with him. She both encourages him to ask questions and answers his questions. And, you know, the part about he's allowed to read any book that he wants as long as he goes to her if he feels confused or frightened. And it's like, you really get the impression that she would take the time to process that with him. Just... I feel like adds an additional layer of of tragedy to Baz's life because he just could have had such a better childhood than he did. He definitely could have had a, a better childhood. And I don't know, the time when he was five might be the last time he really remembers having any kind of, the kind of like physical and emotional care that you give children. Mm-hmm. And that is also really sad, mm-hmm. you know, cause like, so obviously he's getting, he's being provided for like his physical needs. And he obviously has like a lot of privilege with his wealth and his sort of family name power, but it's very doubtful that anyone's hugged him at home, like besides the nanny or would take the time to answer a question he has. Like, we had in earlier chapters where he's like, I don't know shit about vampires and like, don't know who to ask. It's like, why is no one in your family fucking helping you? But yeah. And so I just feel like the sort of that kind of sense of loss is just also really, it's not super great. Yeah. I, f- I think, you know, we get the impression that his dad sort of emotionally checked out after his mom died and, you know, they were very in love apparently and so it seems like he let his grief get in the way of his ability to be a dad and then with Baz's stepmom like Baz is Baz isn't allowed to talk about his mom it seems like they talk around her and then his dad we see later refers to his stepmom as his mom and so I feel like Baz was never given the opportunity to grieve in the way that would have been necessary for him to be able to bond with his stepmom. Mm-hmm. Because you really have to introduce stepparents really carefully into a child's life if you want them to get along. And I just get the impression that Baz was sort of just, was like, this is your mom now. We're not talking about it. You know? And Surprise. So that's, that's not how you do it. That's Surprise. Here's your, here's your new mom. Yeah, and we're going to start making new siblings for you. Get over it. I think this also sheds some light on Fiona. Mm. And just imagining sort of the gaping wound that is, you know, having lost her sister, who sounds like fucking rad. Mm-hmm. And 
I feel like it makes a little bit more sense for her character that she also fell apart after losing this like incredible person in her life and is just unsure how to move on because right no one still knows what the fuck happened you know it's still kind of like why the fuck were there vampires like what yeah and just like sort of like the questions about like what really happened and like kind of a a lack of closure and like appropriate grieving space also Mm -hmm. like fiona is also still actively grieving and i think it's very understandable that she does a lot of things to sort of sort of uh, morph her sadness into just rage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's a productive feeling. It's something you can do something with. Yeah. Um, and even before being reminded of his childhood tragedy, we see Baz at the beginning of this chapter dealing with his more recent trauma. Um, and he is hella fucked up. He's so hard on himself about it, too. Like, he is seemingly sort of chronically dissociated, which makes sense, because Mm -hmm. how the hell else do you live through two months in a fucking coffin Yeah, without leaving your body? But now that he's out, he's like, can't figure out how to reintegrate himself. He's having anxiety attacks. He's like, clearly so depressed. And... He's just yelling at himself about it, which, for the record, doesn't help. <laughs> That's yeah. not gonna fix it. I feel, I feel like, oh yeah, I've totally been in this place that Baz is in, where it's like, what is this feeling? Oh, it's an anxiety attack. Didn't know it could feel like that. Or it's like, why am I always tired? It's like, oh, um, you know, why does nothing I do feel good? It's like, oh, that's depression. Yeah, and. Just uh, just again, very upsetting that there's no therapy in this world. Yeah. Because uh, Baz definitely needs some. He, like, he is, right, barely processed what has happened, what happened to him at the beginning of this book. Right. And I think I also want to bring up that him feeling very fatalistic clearly isn't the first time like when he's talking about in the fifth year when like simon's is following him around he's like yeah he might kill me i'm okay with that i'm like uh actually Mm -hmm. (laughs) um not not a great sign about your mental health so yeah the i feel like the thing that i mean again this this book is exquisitely written it is so good everything is so beautifully detailed and i feel like the thing that stuck out to me the most in this whole situation with baz's mental health is the part where simon's been following him around and baz says that he just doesn't have the strength to deal with it and it's a situation that requires nothing from baz like there is not one single thing that he needs to do about what Simon is doing. And he's too tired to do that. And if that isn't like hashtag depression feels, I don't know what is. I, that's how I feel about literally everything right now. I'm like, th- this situation exists and I don't have to do a fucking thing about it. And it makes me tired to think about the fact that like, nothing like you know what i mean where it's just like i don't i don't have to do shit about that 
and I'm too tired to do it. And it's like, but there isn't, there is no do there. Yeah. And I was just like, oh yeah, Baz, like that's, that's exactly the thing. Yeah. <laughs> LOL hashtag mood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can we talk about the photo? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Tommy finds a photo of what, like four-year-old Baz, five-year-old Baz. Yeah, something like that. And like, what I imagine to be like they like they describe the outfit, but for whatever reason, just reminds me of like the sort of Sears or like J.C. Penny like baby photos that like I know that I have, and yeah. I just like kind of imagine it in that style with like a like a really just like indistinct background, mm-hmm. but also just. Baz just having like the also like visceral feeling of that memory and like the feel mm. of his like mom's hand and it's just just I mean it just got it just gutted me some more is what happened. Yeah, and also the fact that the first thing that he latches onto is like, oh look, that's when I was alive. You know, the the first thing that he knows is is his skin because he's been gray, presumed presumably since he was five that's hard to tell because it seems like the vampirism kicked in with puberty but at least at this point baz is so used to being just totally washed out yeah that seeing himself with like a skin tone that's not gray is shocking to him Mm -hmm. and it seems like reinforces his idea at some point in this chapter he says that he's not a person and it seems like that sort of reinforces that for him of I'm I'm dead now. Like I'm a monster. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like are also depression feels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Baz, you're not a monster. You just have clinical depression. Yeah. And a question mark disability. I don't know. It's kind of like he has like diabetes. Like it's like not it's. You know, like type one diabetes, where it's like, make sure you eat every three hours. You know, you're fine. You get the little bracelet so your teachers don't yell at you when you have to leave class and like have a fucking snack. Yeah. Baz needs a special diet and he's fine. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm just imagining having one of those like silver medical bracelets that just has like, I don't know, like a silhouette of some fangs on it or something. So. Red blood drop. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking so much about uh, werewolfism and the Gaily Prophet, and that is a disability that requires, you know, and deserves a lot of accommodations. And it seems like being a vampire really doesn't. It's just like he, if you could consider blood to be a medication, but really it's just like he needs, he needs a, a special diet. Like if you like can't process vitamin K, so you have to make sure you don't eat too much kale. It's, that's not that big of a deal. <laughs> Yeah, I know they could get they could get him something besides rat blood, which I did not Google how much blood is in a rat, but rats are very small, so probably not that much. Yeah, yeah go to a butcher shop. Come on. Buffy had been out for like 15 years <laughs> at this point. Bass should know that he can go to the butcher shop. I mean, even if not, I mean, not that I want any harm to come of Ebb's goats, but just drink a few goats like you don't have to kill them and you know what eb is such a lovely person she would 100 percent raise extra goats for bass 
Oh my god, she would. He could he could get like fancy goats because he's a fancy. Queen. He's fancy, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, oh. I learned recently that Angora is from goats and not from fancy rabbits, which is what I always assumed. Uh, so he could get like fancy Angora goats to to eat. Uh, so yeah, just a little little pen of adorable fluffy I, I guess they're fluffy i should have googled what an angora goat looks like all i'm saying is that baz needs something that's not eating rats in the catacombs by himself when he's like freaked out by the dark yeah 100 percent. i think that's it about baz do you have more about baz do i have anything yes probably also feeding into baz's sort of his sort of ambivalent about his half-life question mark is that in fact smoking cigarettes when you're very flammable is a terrible idea mm-hmm. i think any of us who have smoked cigarettes or other things in the past have definitely burned themselves or burned off an eyebrow or some lashes <laughs> doing something ridiculous and unsafe i feel like that happens more when you're smoking things that make you intoxicated though I don't know. I did melt. I did like burn off some of my eyelashes lighting a cigarette on a stove one time in college. So well, I was drunk fair. though. See what? <laughs> okay, but Should can I, I say? <laughs> Should I be doing that? Can we imagine Baz using a very long cigarette holder oh my to God. keep his cigarette far away from his body? Because he would. Oh God! He would look like a gay villain in a hitchcock movie and it'd be great Mm-hmm. i think he does anyway based on the description <laughs> that we get of him later when simon's like <laughs> expounding upon his beauty oh little baz i don't want you to smoke because it's probably still bad for you maybe not because you never get sick but like if you are gonna please get a really fancy cigarette holder but you know, sometimes you like the chair, your cigarette falls off and you like burn a hole in your clothing or like burn yourself. Like that could be probably not great if you're flammable. That's true. I guess. And they vampires seem to be more flammable in this lore than they are in other lore, specifically yeah. Buffy. Yeah. You know, in Buffy, you can catch fire for like a minute. And as long as you put it out fast enough, you're you're okay. But Baz describes himself as being like flash paper, so maybe maybe the cherry of a cigarette would be enough to take him out. Baz, ten years later, you can just buy a buy a vape, and it'll be all fine. <laughs> He's smoking because he thinks it makes him cool, and I promise you that there is nothing cool about vaping. I don't know. Didn't the kids love Jewel for a minute? Or I'm just reading too many articles by old people who are like, Jewels, why don't understand it? So I mean, I feel like yes, but not. <laughs> they the, the kids who like Jewel were not the kids who like would have been smoking cigarettes behind the bleachers like because they wanted to be cool kids. That's fair. Yeah. Welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about politics and things that are fucked up. We get, you know, more witch NSA here with the scouring 
what a word what a horrible horrible word of normals who learn about magic it's like you scour an oven and it is like the most terrible kitchen cleaning job so it's just like yeah that's what you're doing to their you're taking steel wool to these people's brains is what you're doing and that is fucked up so yes it is fucked up i but i do appreciate that phrase because you immediately know how fucked up it is Mm -hmm. because right you're imagining like steel wool only on your brain and you're like ugh. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean agatha doesn't get into any details of that but yeah i'm sure it's pretty awful yeah I bet of all of our characters, Agatha probably actually thinks that it's awful, given the response that we see her have when her dad is like, oh, it's so tragic that Philippa lost her voice Like for a magician. That's so bad. And Agatha's like, for anyone, the fuck is wrong with you? Like, normals are people too. Shitty things are shitty, regardless of whether or not you have magic. I feel like she just has more empathy for for normals than the rest of our crew. Yeah, which makes sense because potentially her normal friends have much more empathy for her than a lot of the characters in this book. Yeah. Slash the people around her. Slash her parents. Excellent. Excellent point. Um, did Sorry, did you have anything here? You I didn't, didn't have anything. anything. Okay, so I just have one more thing. Okay. Which is, so Watford doesn't have... Uh, daycare or like a uh, school for small ones anymore so my question is is this another subtle form of control that the mage has implemented where it's like it's to to discourage ties between the teachers that are under his control and the outside world and like anyone who is married or has kids has to value teaching at Watford more than they value their families. So it's like their commitment to the mage is more than their commitment to, you know, like in the same way as banning cell phones is about separating the kids from their yeah. parents. Did he take away this school to separate the teachers from their families? I guess. I feel that it's hard to say because I could totally see the mage making that a rule and definitely being like, look what happened to this the kids who were living here before. Maybe we should just get rid of this. And I don't know if you'd have really much pushback because I feel like Maybe you don't want your kid to live at Watford if this is what happened to the last child who lived here. I don't remember if there are other kids living at Watford when Baz was. Or was it just him? There were other kids in the daycare, so I assume so. Yeah. Yeah, but presumably they they tightened the wards, right? Like, they wouldn't have re reinstated school for anybody if they didn't yeah. think that it was safe, right? I guess I just feel like I would definitely feel leery about that mm. and be like, maybe my kid is safer at home with someone else than on the Watford grounds. Yeah. In this cursed nursery, you know, where right. I'm like, you can scrub all the 
soot and magic and whatever off of it, but you're still going to be like, mm. The school swallowed it, right? The nursery's not there anymore. And I can't remember if we learned that in this book or if we learned that in Fangirl. I think we learned, I think we learned this in, the, learned that in this book. I don't remember. But, but I, think so. I mean, either way, it's somewhere in the Simon Snow universe canon that, that the nursery is gone. They would have had to build a new one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to send my kid there and nothing about the mage would give give me faith that he would be good at keeping it secure. So I'd be like, no, it's good. I'm good. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it might have just been like he wouldn't have even had to push very hard to get that. So there like weren't young children on the grounds anymore. Mm-hmm. It just seems like that would make there be such high teacher turnover because people don't want to never see their kids, you know? Yeah. Welcome to Caught in a Landslide, where we rant about stuff. Kick us off. Uh, I want to talk about Agatha's feelings that the magic in this world is sort of like being in a cult. I mean, she says like a strict religion. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I wrote that it's like being Amish, and I feel like that's similar vibes to being in a cult. Which is actually funny. I was also thinking it was a little bit like the Amish, and then it was kind of like, they should just give all these kids like, the magical criminal of like room springer where they go out into the yeah. normal world without using magic and be like you know what actually this is real cool i don't want to go back to everyone dating their high school sweetheart so i'm just gonna yeah. hang out in like the normal world i mean i have to, I, I will i will say though that obviously having magic and doing magic seems awesome i don't feel like anything that we learn in this book would make me want to like go to Watford and be in this magical world Mm. so I feel like it's understandable that Agatha's like this doesn't seem so great yeah I I I agree that it seems weird that they're sort of marginally integrated into normal society but still so cut off from it because like it seems like most people work in normal jobs you know, Agatha's family is exceptional. Her dad is the only doctor, seemingly, to magical folks. And then there's, like, the teachers. But other than that, you know, they're professors and, you know, whatever, scientists and have jobs. They go to normal college. So it's like, why is the world so weirdly closed off if everyone is out is it just because you're only supposed to reproduce with other magical people and so probably or because they all just are so fucking stuck up about how being magic is better than being normal that they're unwilling to make friends with normals i definitely think for old families like baz i think it's definitely of the we are living a superior life we are magical like we don't have to go out into the normal world and like sully ourselves more than we necessarily have to Mm -hmm. i mean fiona is rebelling by banging whoever normal people she's banging you know but even she's like i'm not gonna marry them it's like okay just right just let's not you're just not gonna examine at all are you all right that's it's fine i guess 
I just feel like it feels weird to me that like, you know, Penny's mom is a is a professor and it seems like she will would have more in common with her professor friends or her professor, her colleagues, right, than with most of the people that we meet in the magical world who she doesn't seem to agree with politically or really vibe with, you know? Yeah. So, like, why doesn't she have a social circle that involves a bunch of normals who also are, you know, nerdy academics? Like, that's a really a much more meaningful common ground to have with other people in terms of forming a friendship than like we share a, a similar, uh, we have a shared genetic anomaly that allows us access to this particular thing. I think though that the fact that she can't, she wouldn't be able to tell any of her normal friends about the other part of her life that is in the magical world uh, sort of puts those, friendships at disadvantage because you would still need to hold them at arm's length. And I'm betting with families who maybe have a lower amount of magical ability that maybe the kind of the, like the prestige of, you know, being able to be at Watford and to kind of fully join the magical community would be enough to not question if the magical world is better than the normal world. That mm. makes sense. Because you'd, you'd just be so excited to be a part of it. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess my, you know, because we were talking about sort of like Rumspringa. It's just that they, they do go to like normal elementary school and then normal college and have normal jobs. And so they are exposed to that world. And so I feel like at least my takeaway from that is like, yeah, it's weird that they do get this exposure and they're just like, no, it seems chill to like only know 50 people. That's, that's fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it does seem super fucking weird. And there are obviously a lot of shitty things about being a person in this world, but I just, don't necessarily think that what we've seen in the magical world makes it seem like it's that much better. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, all right. So the only other thing I had here is this line from Agatha. Just when you think you're having a scene without Simon, he drops in to remind you that everyone else is a supporting character in his catastrophe. I love that line. So good. It's, it's also just such a meta line. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because everyone has already cast Agatha in that role. And there are, of course, in multiple fantasy books, that is the role of characters, often ladies like Agatha, like being that supportive character, like the hero who is having their journey. Mm-hmm. And it's really appreciate her calling it out. I mean, also very sad because it's like, that is a shitty position to be in if you're like I don't even want to be here in, in, yeah. in this in this supporting world like what is my what is my hero's journey I don't even know yet right uh, actually that was also my, my other thing cool so uh, you have some sexy stuff huh I do cool since she was 
Welcome to Sends Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff. All right. So first off, Baz reflecting on his fifth year when he was uh, 15. I feel 15 again, like I'm going to give in if he gets too close. Kill him or bite him. The only reason I got through that year was that I couldn't decide which of these options options which finally put me out of my misery probably snow himself would put me out of my my misery if i tried either one those are my fifth year fantasies kisses in blood and snow ridding the world of me so goth such as goth <laughs> melancholy it's baby an essence song. <laughs> <laughs> oh god oh kisses in blood oh <laughs> Oh my god. I know. Oh, Baz is an Evanescent song. Oh my god. This, I'm so sorry, Baz. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second section that happens that I am, of course, very into. Mm-mm. For a moment, not even a moment, a split second, I imagine him saying, the truth is I'm desperately attracted to you. And then I imagine myself spitting in his face. And then I imagine looking it off his cheek and kissing him because I'm disturbed. Ask anyone. And I'm like, bro, that is a very specific fantasy. <laughs> um, very hot in a gross way. I'm not here to kinking anyone. That's just a lot. There's a lot going on there, Bess. There's a lot going on there. I can't. <sighs> Again, I write. No kink shaming. I personally cannot get behind anyone spitting on anyone anywhere ever. Yeah, it's just fucking for crazy. any reason. Like even like TV shows, people always are like in fights, and then someone spits in someone else's face, and I'm like, I'm gonna have to turn this off and go take like 20 minutes to get deskeeve myself from having witnessed that. I don't want to watch it. Yeah, people love spitting in each other's mouths. Whatever you do, you don't ever yeah. make me think about it, please. Body fluids are gross. Yeah. <laughs> I just love the fact that he's like, I'm disturbed, ask anyone. I'm like, there's actually, besides my personal revulsion about the idea of spitting at someone and then consuming it again, it's actually very tame. <laughs> I, <feel Yeah>. like <laughs> I don't think he means about the spit thing. Fair. I think he means the like push pull like mm. fuck you fuck me thing because yeah, yeah. we get this sort of over and over where where baz is criticizing the fact that like he's like being mean to simon and like pushing simon away and then immediately being like no touch me want me i want more and he's like i'm disturbed i'm disturbed i'm disturbed and it's like you're just confused little baby like it's okay it's not disturbed you just really don't know what the fuck to do with your feelings it's okay listen it's hard when you have a crush on someone that either is straight or you think is straight because you're just like what do i do with these feelings Mm -hmm. what is wrong with me yeah we have i'll i'll obviously have to like bring it out later when it becomes more relevant but we have a listener who has been sort of slow-mo like writing an essay about like when baz and simon each come to accept and believe the other's feelings 
about them Mm -hmm. that they've been sending to me in pieces and it's like really lovely and i feel like is something that we will have to incorporate into our conversations because i think that's a lot of it and i feel like it's like very lesbian of bass (laughs) that like simon is like I like you and would like to date you. And Baz is like, I just am getting mixed signals. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Yeah. But are you sure? (laughs) Right, exactly. I just don't know what he wants. I wish he would just be clear with me. (laughs) Uh, Oh, man. Queer people and their feelings. Yeah. Queer people and our feelings. (laughs) Uh, what are our feelings? I don't know. I don't know either. Is this just fantasy? Welcome to Is This Just Fantasy? Where we talk about magic and science and magical science. Do you want to talk about spells? Yes. Cool. Kick us off. All right, so we get two spells in this. Two explicitly said, explicitly, directly said. What what are words? We learned two new spells here. Thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is a very powerful silencing spell, which is Pig Latin. So mm-hmm. Agatha tells us tells it to us as exne on the Otford way, mm-hmm. which is. Apparently a serious enough skill that only members of the coven are allowed to use it. Mm-hmm. And I guess if it wasn't so serious, I'm part of me is kind of like, LOL. <laughs> I think it makes a lot of sense. So I don't think it's just like Pig Latin generally. I think it's like the spell is the Ixnay part. Mm-hmm. That's like pretty broadly used by parents with like little kids when they're one of them doesn't want the other to like bring up something. Mm-hmm. that'll like make the kid excited at bedtime or you know whatever yeah so I, f- I i feel like it makes sense that it would sort of be a spell that makes it that you like can't you can't say the thing i have a question for you okay so it's only allowed to be used by members of the coven which i would assume means that you have to like get permission you have to get a warrant you know you have to like have have someone sign a thing being like yes the situation calls for it and not if you're on the coven you can use this spell willy-nilly and like your kids in trouble go ahead and use the spell on them it's fine so i don't know do you think that agatha's dad was violating the spirit of the rule by just casting it on her like the first time it became an issue without I mean honest honestly yeah because he it sounds like and Agatha's telling that it was very quick and there mm-hmm. didn't seem to be any kind of consulting of anything or anyone right so yeah I think it's probably a thing that you're only technically allowed to do if you're on the coven though I guess I have no idea how they are monitoring that Right. Well, I'm right. How do they monitor anything like that? But I mean, yeah, especially if, if the whole point is not you can't talk about a thing. Like, how would you know they couldn't talk about it? Like, Right. Exactly. Yeah. It just seems like if if something if a spell is controlled in that way or it's like you have to be on the coven to do it, that 
should mean that you have to get permission from the coven before doing it. Maybe it means that they just he just sent a letter to be like, hey, you just spilled my daughter for this thing. There's just like a like a metal file cabinet of just like so and so used this spell at, at on this person for this thing. It just goes into a drawer. God, think somewhere. of the implications of a spell like that, like for fucking abusers to be able to use that spell. Yeah. Like, what a dangerous goddamn spell. Yeah. Oh, I don't like to think about it. Yeah, and especially in a magical system that's so based on your ability to say words in order to produce any kind of magic. Yeah. Yikes. That's why it just feels feels weird that he was just like immediately like, all right. Right, it doesn't even seem like it was like, you know, she'd done this before. It was her first time. And they're just like, yep, just make it so she literally can't talk to her friends about this. Like big big yikes it's no wonder her friends assume that she goes to a really religious boarding school right like how do you explain like why you don't have internet <laughs> else with the sides explain to be like well just like shoot you an email send you a text it's like oh you can't because reasons right uh and more chill spells though make a wish is cute i know i just i just have an lol next to that it's just like oh of course yeah. Of course it is. Yep. So wards. We learn a little bit about wards. Which we I think we've we've talked a little bit about before, but I actually just had a question about it because Baz can go into the mage's room and we just get this throwaway line that he went in once and found himself puking in the mage's toilet. So my question is like, did the mage put up an additional ward that like Baz can go in, but it like creates intense nausea if you go in but he hasn't given you permission because it doesn't say he was drunk like there's nothing about why he would be vomiting do you think it was nerves no or at least i didn't get that impression i actually found it very confusing and this was just the only explanation i could come up with yeah i found it very weird also and then the fact that baz tells fiona that that's like a last resort thing makes me feel like he expects that if he goes in again he will become ill again right hmm. that would make sense it is very ambiguous though i don't know yeah i mean it's not like we think the mage probably keeps anything more in his room than his office no but murderers could lay and wait that's true for weeks and weeks waiting for him to get back from whatever the fuck he's been doing <laughs> I like how he just left the wards up so so Baz can just come and go. Because the maze must know that they're there. Is it just like, whatever? Yeah, that's... Maybe... I was wondering about that, too. And just now it occurred to me, like, did he leave them up so that Baz would go in and then Baz could get caught and then the mage could expel him? I don't know. It's a mystery. Yeah. I mean, it could very... Also, it could also be the fact that the mage clearly doesn't spend any time in there that he, the mage just doesn't give a fuck about his office. Yeah, that's true. Even though I'm like, there's probably some administrative things that running a school requires that you probably should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> in theory. Uh, I'm just, just throwing out, I don't know anything about what running a school is like, but I imagine 
you should probably be in your office sometimes doing we already asked on an episode what what principals do and ask people to tell us and no one has written in yet so excuse us listeners you know i do know someone who's a school principal i should ask her what you should get on that (laughs) please tell me what you do because i am very curious yeah all right i don't think i have anything else you want to talk about fireworking yes is this the first time we see baz using his yes firepower okay yeah and it seems to be passed down in families and somewhat of an innate ability so i assume this like magic is genetic you know some sort of i assume like many magicians can magic a flame but like it seems like baz has some sort of like preternatural relationship with fireworking that he inherited from his mom. Yeah. Which does beg the question if there are other mages who have some kind of uh elemental affinity. Yeah. Are there are there airbenders and waterbenders and <laughs> I mean yes, basically. I mean there probably are. Damn, that would be cool to see. I like how he says he can twist the flame through his fingers like a snake. Like, that's not how fire works. <laughs> well, isn't that the point? That, like, yeah. it's magic. He's shaping yeah. it. Yeah. God, think about, like, how cool it would be to be, like, a metal a metal worker, ma- magical metal worker, where you could, like, make any metal be like mercury is, right? Like, in its liquid state, but you're controlling it and playing with it and not getting mercury poisoning. That'd be Mm -hmm. exciting. (laughs) Also, you could just do, like, really cool, weird stuff with that. Yeah, just like uh, Magneto from the X-Men. Sounds true. I know nothing (laughs) about the (laughs) X-Men. It's all right. It's okay. I also really like the detail that being a fireworker has a, like, physical implications. Like, that his mom's hands are, like, sort of, like, I guess I assume that the skin was sort of like cracked and peeling from the heat maybe i don't know they're calloused yeah i guess they would be like rough from extended exposure to to heat yeah that is a nice detail isn't it and then she calls her hands flamethrowers yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's lovely it's so great uh yeah natasha Grimpitch sounds super awesome i am very sad that she is dead in this books because she seems super rad she does guess we can't say about her school policies but as a person she seems pretty cool yes uh is that it i think that's it cool Thank you for listening to this episode of Escape from Reality. If you like this podcast and you can still tolerate Harry Potter, you could check out our other podcast, (laughs) The Gaily Prophet, where we talk about Harry Potter humorously yet ruthlessly. That's also how you can find us all over the internet. Our website is thegailyprophet.com. All of our social handles are thegailyprophet. And uh, we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash thegailyprophet. If you cannot support us 
financially, you should totally uh, leave us a five-star review on wherever you're listening to podcasts at. It helps people listen to our show, and the larger we get, the more people will read this book. Yes, and the less we'll have to talk about Harry Potter. Exactly. <laughs> um, also, tell your friends. You're going to be stuck in your house all winter. You should probably tell your friends <laughs> to listen to this podcast. Truly. Every review for Escape from Reality and recommendation for Escape from Reality is a middle finger in the face of J.K. Rowling. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to find me on the internet, I am on Instagram at Lark Malachi. That's L-A-R-K-M-A-L-A-K-A-I. And if you want a tarot reading from me, you can go to my website, which is LarkMalachi.com. Which you totally should. Uh, if you want to read more about me ranting about how terrible the world is, you can follow me on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit. Or follow me on Instagram at Live from Detroit. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. The music and our theme song is by Kevin McLeod. The rest is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. And until next time, Scatamoosh! Scatamoosh.